Cole and I are teaching an Andy Stanley series uh, over uh, the month of June and July. It was so moving to Cole and myself that we wanted to do the best that we could to present it to you as accurately as possible. We are in the third part of this series today, and this series is called Begin Again, and it's the premise of this entire series, that phrase. In fact, faith has a beginning point, and maybe we have never thought about it like that, but because we think about, yes, ourselves, we have a beginning point. I am glad that you began, and I'm glad that you chose to be here with us today. Everything has a beginning point. Um, even our faith. So many of us grew up with uh, uh, being part of a home where maybe we knew faith was a part of that home. Uh, perhaps you knew that you had people in your family or in your life that were praying for you. You knew that. And you also saw this family, your family possibly, pray before meals. You, you knew faith was a part. Or maybe you went to a church where um, some type of church or a religious organization or a religious school, some kind of environment where someone worked with your parents or partnered with your parents to give you some kind of foundation for your faith. And then if you're like me, then you grew up. And as many of us did, we kind of outgrew that childlike faith that we had growing up. We outgrew it because there became this space between what we were taught as a child and what the reality was for us as a student or an adult. And we had questions because suddenly our Sunday school faith or our vacation Bible school, our VBS faith didn't quite match our adult or student experiences. And it's not that we decided to turn around and walk away from faith and say, forget that. It's just kind of that it ended up in our rearview mirror of life, and life just went on, and faith just kind of stayed back there. So here's what this series is about, and kind of the premise of this whole series. We just kind of asked some questions. What would it be like if we were to, uh, you know, begin our faith all over again. Begin right now where we are, either for you as maybe a student or as an adult. What would it be like to begin our faith again? If we were to wipe the slate clean, what questions would we have? What would we need to answer? We're kind of building this series week by week. And, and I say that just to say that if you have not yet heard part one and two of this series, I encourage you to go back and listen to that, either on Facebook Live, YouTube, or on SoundCloud. If you would listen to that, because by the end of this series, everything is going to come together and every single part is going to be important. Now, moving forward... We don't have a tendency, um, or we do have a tendency to not think about faith from this perspective. So we said that faith has a beginning point, but here's, we, we don't think about this. The story of faith has a beginning point as well. Every single faith tradition has a story behind it, kind of how it got started, how it was founded, how it came to be. They all have some kind of history. And the truth is, and it's okay to admit this, the truth is this, that most of us are not too interested in the history <laughs> that's behind the faith that we grew up with or believe. And when it comes to faith, um, you know, we have some questions about that. And the questions usually, though, are not, how did it begin? That's usually not the question. Or who was the founder of my faith? We really don't care about that. You know, if, if you're anything like me, when, when I was single, the questions I had were, okay, um, it's Thursday, and tomorrow's Friday, and uh, let's see, I, God, um, I, I need a date for the weekend, so I need you to really come through for me on this. Where's God when I need him, right? Or maybe it's from the standpoint of, I've been to this place too, um, I've got a test tomorrow, 
um, and no, God, I didn't really study. I'm not prepared for it, so I really need you to come through for me. I need you, God. Where are you? I, where are you when I need you? We don't really care about the history, which is maybe part of the reason why we even kind of it's drifted away from our foundation, because we didn't really know why we believed what we believed. So today, we're going to go back in time, and I'm going to do my best to connect something from way back there to something that really matters for you and for me today, to our current experience. I want to go back to something that happened a long time ago. So that when you're in the process of making up your mind as to whether you're going to consider a new beginning, you can factor this information into that process because what I'm going to tell you today is extremely important. Now, here's something that you might have heard before, but maybe you haven't thought about in a long time. The three largest faith traditions claim the same starting point. All right? Did you know that? This is a big deal. The three largest faith traditions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all had the same beginning point. All three of those big traditions believe that there is a single God who created the heavens and the earth. They all believe that. And all of those three tra traditions, this, the, the biggest amount when it comes to religion, those three together, the biggest amount, the vast majority of the world believes that the first man on earth was named Adam. They all believe that. In fact, Muhammad, uh, who started Islam, he actually believed that Adam and taught that Adam was the first Muslim and that he was also, Muhammad taught that he was the first product. Uh, prophet. And in Judaism, of course, a Adam was the first person, and we have the whole Adam and Eve thing and the Garden of Eden thing, so they believe that. And then we've got Christians. Now, this is interesting for Christians who also take the story of Adam and Eve very seriously. And the, here's the reason why, though. This might surprise you. The reason why they take the story seriously is not because it's in the book of Genesis, all right? It, that's not primarily why we take it so seriously as Christians. The reason Christians have taught the story of Adam and Eve is because Jesus taught about Adam and Eve, and Christians are just kind of crazy in this way. We believe that if a man can predict his own death and predict his own resurrection to the day and then pull it off, well, we're just going to kind of go with what that man believes and teaches. And if, Adam, if Jesus says that Adam lived and was a real person, then I'm just going to go with that. We're just kind of crazy that way. The point is this, though. All three of those major faith traditions, they all believe that there's a creator, and they believe he created the world, and the first person he created was Adam. They all believe that. And that's not all. All three also believe that somehow humanity messed up God's perfect creation. Essentially, God creates this perfect world and human beings come in and they start making decisions and they just mess up the whole thing. That's pretty much what all three believe. And now you may struggle with the whole Adam and Eve story, but here's what we do all agree on. We all agree that we have messed up this world. We have, right? We're in agreement with that. Now, last week we said, speaking of messing up the world, we said that we can't really think of ourselves as mistakers, people who just make some mistakes. No, no, no. It's worse than that. We said last week that we might need to start considering ourselves in this reality as sinners. You know, we push back on that though. We say, no, 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 no. I'm not a sinner. Uh, I'm more of just a mistaker. A mistaker. But last week we discovered this, that we make those mistakes and we seem to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And in fact, there are some mistakes in our life that we actually make on purpose and we plan them. So what do we call that? And we said last week, well, we decided just to call it what it probably really is, that we are all sinners. <laughs> so somehow... The world has gone wrong. 
And all those faith traditions that I mentioned believe that God created the world good and we came along and we jacked it all up. That's what all three of the faith traditions believe. Now, here's another thing where all those major faith traditions come together again. All three come together around a single man. All three believe that there was this single man, um, and with this single man, God chose and began to correct the entire problems of the world, the problems that we created, and that man's name is Abraham. Abraham is where all three major traditions come together and they merge, but Abraham is also where all three traditions separate at Abraham. I'll explain that in just a moment. Islam goes one direction with Abraham. Judaism goes another direction. And then we take the Christians and we kind of go way out here in a whole nother direction related to Abraham. But all three look back to Abraham and they say, Abraham is our founder. He's the father of our faith. It was Abraham where God began to intersect with mankind in a very strategic way. In order for that we created, that we created the sin and disobedience, he created the world. Now, all of this is interesting, and we're going to talk about some of this, this history side, but here's why I'm bringing this up now. It's not because I'm trying today to convince you to believe in an Adam and Eve. I do, but that's not my point today. It's not because I want you to believe that in the, the Genesis account of Abraham that we're going to talk a little bit about today. I believe that, but my point today is not to try to convince you of that. So you can just take a breath. The reason why we're going to talk about this, some of the history that relates around Abraham, is because there is a very specific conversation recorded between God and Abraham in the book of Genesis. And it's a conversation that regardless of learning for your leave about the Bible, regardless of where you are in this faith journey for yourself right now, this conversation touches on a tension that we have all felt at some time in our lives. And that tension is something that I want to present, and then I want to leave that with you and allow you to wrestle with it today. Because we're going to be wrestling with some of our experience as a child, and maybe the faith we grew up with as a child, and that's kind of what's on the table. So this tension is based upon this question that we have all asked in some form, in some way, and here it is. If there is a God, how can I tell how I'm doing in that relationship? Where do I stand with God, and how can I know? Can God hear my prayers? Does God care? Does he really care? Uh, can I ever even really know God? Can I ever have peace in my life that I prayed for as we began this uh, teaching today? Can, can I ever have security about my faith? Can I ever have that? So all of that can be summarized with the question, how do I know where I stand with God? Right? We have all wondered that at some point in our lives. You've wondered it. I've wondered it. We have all wondered that. And in this little conversation that we're going to focus on today, we're going to see a statement that is so perplexing and at the same time so powerful. That statement is what I'm going to leave with you for the rest of this week to kind of wrestle with. So basically... We have Abraham, who is a historical figure, but there's also this side of the Abraham story that is very personal for you and me today, and it matters to us. So we have the 4,000 years ago Abraham story, but part of that story has something very significant for us today in 2022. But to get there, I want to tell you another story, a more modern day story to help us create some context for the dilemma in which we find ourselves when we're asking the question, how do I know where I stand with God? So go back with me a few years. Um, in fact, this week, I'm going to see where this location is. Go back with me a few years and go to Branson where all the old people are. <laughs> I'll, I'll be there too this week. 
So go, on, go with me to Branson. Now, um, my oldest daughter, Tori, she's probably about four years old. Lexi, right below her, is three years old. And then we have Lawton right under that. We're, and so Lawton is just almost two years old at this moment. And Chloe has, is not yet on, on the earth. <laughs> and so she is yet to be. Tori, Tori, Lexi, Lawton. In a hotel room in Branson, I am reading. I, I uh, when I used to vacation, one of my goals was to read as many books as possible. I tried to finish a book a day, so here we go, or more. I'm reading a book in the hotel room, and um, I put the book down for a moment because Lexi and Lawton are jumping on the bed in the hotel room, and you know, not appropriate. It's not their bed. It's yeah, so I put the book down and I'm like, stop jumping on the bed. And because they always do what they're told, they did after three more big jumps. <laughs> and on that third jump, Lexi comes down, at which point Lawton, like you have seen at the blobs, Lawton is then catapulted into the air. And it's all going in slow motion at this point. And so here we have Lexi and Lawton jumping on the bed. Lawton falls off and he sure did. <laughs> Bumps that head. Lawton jumped on. He fell off and he bounces his head off the bedside table, which at that point gashes it wide open on his forehead. And he is there now uh, on the ground uh, Bleeding severely. I look up from my book and I say, See, I told you so. Y'all go ahead and get that taken care of and fixed. Let me know when you've got it done. And I go back to reading. Some of us think that's what God is like. Some of you think, that sometimes God stares at you in a mess of your own making with all the damage and the consequences around that decision and that he goes and says to you this, well, there you go. There you go. You just figure that mess out that you've created. Um, call me when you get this taken care of. Go ahead. And yet you don't believe for a second that I actually left Lawton bleeding on the floor. Which means, it means that you believe that I have more compassion than God, which makes me more compassionate than God, which makes me more godly than God, which is not the case. Which means perhaps that there's something about God that you don't know. So back to the story. I did what any good father would do. Here's Lawton. His forehead gashed open because, yes, he had just, just had to get in three more jumps, three more bounces when I told him to stop. And now he's in an accident of his own making. So I did what you would do. I reached down and I scooped him up. I applied constant and direct pressure to that gash, and I took him straight to the ER where they got it all stitched up. Have you ever had an accident in your house? Like maybe you spilled a gallon of paint on your carpet when you were trying to remodel, and it was so bad that you, were just, you just looked at your wife and you were like, I think we should just sell the house. <laughs> I think we should just get out of this while we can. Have you ever had a dish so dirty in your kitchen that you just threw it away? You have, haven't you? I have too. And so that's kind of what we expect from God. We think that maybe God just threw us all away, that mankind had polluted this world with sin so much. I mean, we just, we think about the injustice in our world today, but we cannot even imagine the injustice of the world that Abraham lived in, that ancient world. There was no law 
anywhere. There was no real civil societies. It was all survival of the strongest and survival of the richest. It was all about human trafficking everywhere. Kidnapping was commonplace. If you wanted somebody, you just took them. There were no cities, states, nations like we know them today. And so in this very chaotic world that would be so offensive to our modern day sensibilities, into this world, God saw that sin had taken hold of humanity. And we were down there just bleeding, gashed open in a mess of our own making. And if God is a God who cares, and if God was compassionate, then God had a decision to make. God would have to decide, do I wade into this mess and and find a new beginning point for cleaning all this mess up that they created? Or do I just hang a giant out of order sign on the entire earth and go off and start something new? And all the major faith traditions believe that God decided to wade into this mess of humanity. And the way that he did, he did it by choosing this one single man named Abraham, and he began the process there. So around 1876 B.C., God interrupted humanity and he chose a man by the name of Abraham as his beginning point for fixing this mess that humanity created here on this planet. And it's interesting because Abraham was no superhero. He was just a normal guy. In fact, Abraham had issues. One time, Abraham was going to Egypt with his wife, who was young and beautiful. Her name was Sarah. And uh, Pharaoh, um, listen to what happened. Some of Pharaoh's servants saw Sarah, and they were like, Pharaoh's going to want to know about her. (laughs) And so they go tell him. Somehow Pharaoh sees Sarah, and he is like, I want that. And so that's how it worked. If he wanted, then he said, go get her for me, and they did. So they go to Abraham, and they ask Abraham. They're kind of feeling him out. They say, Abraham, so Sarah, is this your wife? And Abraham saw it coming. He understood what was going on. He thought, listen, if they think I'm married to her, then they're going to kill me, and they're going to take my wife. So he kind of bucks up. Get behind me, Sarah. And he confronts him. Being this courageous man that he was, he said, all right, fellas, well, she's more like a sister. <laughs> she's more like, go, Sarah, go with them. She's more like a sister to me, not really like my wife. And so he gave his wife to Pharaoh. And then, I mean, that's, that's Abram. That's Abraham. I mean, so he's not like this superhero kind of guy. Uh, you can read that story for yourself. He actually did that twice. <laughs> Abraham had all kinds of problems. He was just a normal guy, all kinds of issues. But God had to begin somewhere. And so God picks this imperfect Abraham to begin. And and here's kind of how that looks like in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Here's, Here's what it says. The Lord said to Abram, that was what his name was at the time. He said, go from your country, you go from your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. In other words, Abram, Abraham, I want you to abandon your entire circle of influence, all of your family, isolate yourself, take your wife with you, isolate yourself from everything else, Abraham, because I'm God, I'm beginning again. And I'm going to do something new. I'm going to begin something that will ultimately impact the entire world. And Abraham, I've chosen you to get us started. And then God made three promises, three very interesting promises to Abraham. And as we go over these, understand, I'm not trying to convince you or talk you into believing that any of this is true. That's not my goal for today. I just want you to listen because this is curious, really curious. If you don't believe this is true, this is super curious because as you listen to these promises that God made to Abraham, 
there, if, it, if you don't believe it's true, there are some huge coincidences that happened if you don't think it's true. But just listen to these. So I'm not trying to convince you of the truth of these. Just listen to this information for just a moment because it's going to get us to where we're going. God made three promises to Abraham. Promise one. He says in Genesis 12, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. Now, that came true. You know, uh, the, the nation of Israel would say, yes, we're that nation. The Arab nations would say, no, 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 we are those, we are that nation. That's, God was talking about us. And they argue over the point of which nation is the great nation that God was referring to. But nobody argues over the point because many nations did come from this one man named Abraham. So God made the promise, and nobody argues today over the reality that promise was fulfilled. All right. Now, there's an interesting thing about that promise. God says, I'm going to make you into a nation, Abraham. And so God's about to address this one big problem of sin and disobedience in the world. But first, I'm going to make you into a nation, Abraham. And, and Abraham could have said, yeah, I, I hear you, God. I hear what you're saying. Um, you're saying that I'm going to make you into a nation, um, you know, but there's one problem. Um, if you're going to make me and my family, just me and Sarah into a nation, that's going to take a long time. I mean, it'd be like calling Jimmy uh, the fire chief, it'd be like calling him and say, hey, listen, please send a fire truck over. We got a big old fire. And Jimmy responding by saying, oh, great. We'll, we'll be right over. First, we've got to build an engine uh, from scratch. We're going to machine all the parts, get everything put together, machine them ourselves, put it together, get it running, and then we'll be right over. <laughs> That's going to take a while. And so God has a problem on his hands. He picks a, a man. He says, one day, someday, a long, long, long time from now, Abraham, you're going to be a nation. And through that nation, I'm going to do something significant. And then God gives him a second promise, promise number two. That passage goes on to say, God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I will make your name great, promise number two. Let's take a quick survey. Please, everybody participate with me. It won't embarrass you, I promise. If you have ever heard of this Abraham that I'm talking about today, if you've ever heard about him ever, nod your head yes. This is not the first time I've ever heard about Abraham. I have heard about Abraham, nod your head self. And, and, yes, and that, that would be all of us, right? Yes, that's all of us. Isn't that amazing? And then there's this other guy. Yeah, McKinley's going to put his name on the screen for us. This, other, this guy right here. Anybody ever heard of him? You ever heard of him? Anybody? Anybody? I'm shocked. Now, this is amazing because this guy was actually famous. He was a famous king during the same days that Abraham lived. You're sure you'd never heard of him? He was the king of, of Elam, right? No, no, no. Ever heard of Elam? No, can, can you find it on a map? No. Everybody in the day of Abraham knew this guy. I'm going to attempt his name here. Kador Laomer. There's a mouthful. Now, you never heard of him? Isn't that interesting? God looks at this nobody and he says, I'm going to make your name great. And he looks at this king over here and he says, sorry, <laughs> nobody's going to hear of you. And here we are, some 4,000 years later, halfway around the world, speaking an entirely different language, a super different culture, and just about every single person in this room and listening to us online would say, oh yeah, 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 Abraham, I know who that is. It's curious, isn't it? Promise one. Fulfilled. Promise two, fulfilled. And here's the third promise that God made to Abraham. 
He said, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All the people groups of the entire earth somehow are going to be influenced or more literally, they are going to be better off because of you, Abraham. And the Muslim nations would say, yep. And that happened. You've got us. Yes, all the nations of the world have been blessed because you now have us, the Muslim nations. And all the Jewish people would say, no, 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 it's because of us. Yeah, you are going to influence all the world, Abraham, and that would be us. You're the Jews, the Jewish nation, that would be us. It refers to us. The world is better off because of us. They're richer because of us. Um, they're more famous, more successful because of us. Yes, thank you very much. Yes, it's because of us. And the Christians might even say, no, 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 no. It's the, the, the truth, yes, but it's because of us. Because of us. Because the Christians, we've started all these hospitals and all these orphanages and taken care of so many people. And yes, the entire world has been touched by us, to which God might say, well, y'all have kind of missed the point there, guys. But, okay, if you want to look at it that way, yeah. Uh, the point is all the peoples of the earth have been blessed through you. So, yes, Abraham, yes. Mission accomplished, promise fulfilled. Aren't those interesting, ancient coincidences? There's no one that comes close to touching our world the way that Abraham does. Now, that's the history part. Now we're going to look at the part that impacts you and me a little closer to home today. So at this point in the story, Abraham is getting older. By now, he is really, really old. He's an old guy. In fact, he, you would think, would not be able to make it to Branson. <laughs> He's an old guy. So Abraham's getting older, and yet God's given him all of these promises, and now Abraham, this old, old, old man, but he has no children, certainly not a nation. And Abraham realizes, wow, if I were to die today, my inheritance, everything I own would go to my my main servant, Eliezer, my chief servant, my head of household, really. So here's Abraham. Okay, God, listen, I know you promised that you're going to turn me into a great nation, but at this point, I, that sounds really big. Sounds like it's going to take a long time. And listen, I, you said that the, my name was going to be famous among the whole world. And at this point, there's about 12 of us who know my name. So I'm trusting that's going to happen, I guess. I don't know. And God, you said that everyone's going to be blessed through me. Okay, okay. That sounds great. I, but listen, I'm not even sure I care about that anymore. I just don't want to leave all my stuff to my head of household, Eliezer. And in desperation, he's calling out to God and praying to God. And like many of us had done in a point of desperation, and while he's praying one night, here's what the writer of Genesis tells us happened. God says something to Abraham. And here he wrote that down for us, Genesis 14. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Abraham, came to him. This man, which is Eleazar, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. In other words, Abraham, don't worry. You are going to have a flesh and blood heir, even though you're really, really old. It's going to happen. Verse 5, he took him, God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So Abraham looks up, and this is, you know, the Middle Eastern sky, just nothing but horizon, horizon. And it's filled with all of these white stars. And God said to him, so shall your offspring be. Listen, Abraham, I know you don't have a son right now, but I want you to trust me. Trust me, God is saying, in essence, to Abraham, with something that I know you're going to have trouble trusting me about, but I just want you to trust me. You are going to become a great nation, Abraham. There will be more people than you will ever be able to count. And then 
something amazing happens. And this is our whole point today. The writer of Genesis makes this next statement that is so powerful. And maybe what I'm getting ready to say, maybe you've read it before, maybe you've never noticed it, or maybe you just kind of blew right past it. But this next statement is so significant, and it's so amazing that this statement has survived 4,000 years. So significant. This statement is ancient, ancient history. It is an ancient, ancient text, but this statement impacts us today. It has profound implications because in this one statement, God, as best we can tell, for the very first time in recorded history, he states the nature of the relationship between God and man. It's as if someone said, how in the world could God, how in the world could this me, this finite, little, itty-bitty, short-term, of no count, normal, or abnormal, just who I am, how could I have a relationship with the almighty God? Is it even possible? And this next statement, God defines the terms of that relationship between God and between man. It's a question you've asked in your life in some way many, many times, and so have I. Can I really know God? Can anyone really know God? You used to think so, you know, when you were a child. You thought, yeah, sure, yes, I think so. But then some things happened to you as a student and an adult, and maybe you decided, oh, I don't know, I don't think you really can know God. I don't think you can. And you hear other people say that they think that you can know God or that they know God, and you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, I don't think you really can. I don't think you can. And secretly in your heart, you want to know and you're quietly asking in your life, can I? I want to. Can I? Can I know where I stand with the invisible, silent? This next statement is so powerful. And this is where the Christians and the Muslims and the Jews all diverge and go into three very different directions. Until this statement, they're pretty close to what they're saying. They're pretty much, there's a lot of agreement. But with this statement, honestly, none of the three biggest take this statement and embrace it without adding something to it. Because what we're getting ready to hear is so unbelievable and so unbelievably simple. We think, oh, that's too good to be true. That can't be right. Now, this is hundreds of years before the Ten Commandments, before the law. This is 2,600 and something years before Islam was even started. 2,000 years before Jesus walked the earth. This is before Moses, before any of that. And God says this to Abraham. Here's how it rolls out. Abraham, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and he, that's God, credited it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord. God, I have no children. And you've told me that I'm going to have descendants as plentiful as the stars in the skies. Okay, God, I trust you. And in that moment, in that solitary expression of faith, God credited that to Abraham. Through that one expression, God credited it to Abraham as righteousness, as a righteous standing with God. In that single moment, that single expression of faith, God said to Abraham, I am giving you a gift of a right standing 
with me. That little incident, Abraham, with your wife in Egypt, yeah, Abraham, that was embarrassing, but I'm not going to hold it against you. Servant, Abraham, that's what's coming up, but Abraham, listen, I accept you because you believed and trusted me. Another way of saying it is this, trusting God resulted in a right standing with God. This is the first implication that we're giving that a human can have a right standing with God. Before that, it was just, I hope so. And if there ever was one, it was, well, you know, I don't know how he got it, but he did. There was no real answer. We didn't know. How did it happen this time? We know it happened because of faith, because of trust. And here's an interesting thing. Listen, I'm not being critical at all. We're just going through this journey together of trying to begin again. Years and years and years would go by from this moment of the promise. Years would go by. And the Jews would come along and they would completely miss the point. The Jews, no, no, no. They would say, no, 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 no. The way you have a right standing with God is by being Jewish. That's how. That's how you have a right standing with God. It's the only way. We are God's chosen people. And in fact, a couple thousand years later, when Jesus would walk the earth, uh, they would be like, hey, 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 Jesus, we don't need you. We don't need you. We are Abraham's sons and daughters. We don't need you, Jesus. It's enough. It's enough for us to be a child of Abraham. And by the way, all you Gentiles, if you're not a Jew, your only hope is that if you kind of convert and become a Jew, that's what you have to do to get right with God. It's all about who you're related to. You got to be related to Abraham. And then the Muslims, they would completely miss it as well. When they popped up on the scene about 2,000 years later, here's the Muslims. Years and years and years go by. 2,600 and something years go by. We're somewhere around 620 AD, and Muhammad would come along and say, here's the way. The way you can have a right standing with God is it's, it's what you believe, and it's what you do, all right? That's what it's going to take, believe and do. You've got to believe that there's one true God, and you've got to believe all the prophets and, and do that, and then you've got to do these works, um, these acts of righteousness, and then at the end of your life, All your good works are going to be measured against your bad, and Allah is going to determine if you have righteousness, and you won't know. No one will know until the very end. That's what they say. It's what you believe and what you do that determines your standing with God. And then we have the Christians. About 30 minutes after Jesus left the earth, the Christians started fighting about this. One group said, yeah, if they're going to follow Jesus, they've got to become a Jew and follow the law of Moses. There was a whole other group that said, I don't think they have to keep that law. They don't even know the law. How can they keep the law? And someone said, yeah, I I think you just have to believe. That's all you have to do is just believe. And they said, that's too easy. Believing is too easy. And the other group and the people who said they've got to believe, they were saying, no, well, the other's too hard. And that right through the Reformation, the church has been split ever since over this topic. So, how? How do you have it? How do you know when God will finally look at you and say, you're approved? How do you know when you've done enough to be approved? How do you know when you have believed enough to be approved? How do you know when you have related enough to be, to be approved? Can you even know? I mean, is it birth or is it behavior or is it belief? Or is it some combination of, the, of two out of three somehow? But 4,000 years ago, before any of those religions existed, before there was anyone who considered themselves Jewish or Muslim or Christian, 
Sorry about that. God revealed to Abraham the secret. He let him know the secret. And I know it is almost impossible for us to comprehend that the murdered so simple. Awesome God would make this standard so simple that the most high God would put the bottom rung on the ladder so low that anybody could step on it. The most high God who saw all of us in our own broken down, gashed, cut up, bloody mess, in a mess of our own making. Come on. Regardless of what you believe about sin or what you believe about theology, we have all been in a mess of our own making. And we have wondered, dare I call out to God to help me because I know this is my mess and it's my fault. But that very same God said, the key to enter into a relationship with him where God can look at us and call us righteous and call us approved It's not through who you're related to. It's not through your behavior. It is simple. Here's the key. Do you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you do what Abraham did? And it's hard to believe. It's almost impossible to believe. But, I'm just going to trust that God, that what you say, I'm going to trust that it's true. And God, I'm going to trust that you'll do what you promised to do. And almost everyone has missed this. And yet God made it so simple. So here, here's the question. What is the beginning point? What is the beginning point for a relationship with God? Is it trust? Is it trust? What if... What if what he told Abraham is the same standard for today? What if our relationship with God begins with trust? What if we saw what Abraham did was enough where he said, God, I trust you. Now, look, I, I know this is hard. This is hard because of the way we've been raised. It's hard because we heard in a place like this, and we heard in maybe Sunday school or VBS or maybe a church camp, that it's got to be belief and more, something more. Trust is not just enough. Because listen, for our lives, there is no other place in the world where we can just unconditionally be loved and accepted simply based upon trust. It didn't happen for us at school. It didn't happen for us on the sports field. It didn't happen at work. For most of us, it didn't happen at home. And for many, it never happened at church either. And yet when we go back to the pre-Christian, pre-Jewish, pre-Islam world, and we find this one man where all three of those religions give him credit for starting their faith, God said to Abraham there, I declare you righteous because you trusted me. And what if the beginning of our relationship with God is simple as trust? So this week, 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask this question in your small group this week. Which of the following best reflects your view and why? Not because of anything that I've said today. I'm not trying to convince you today. That's not what I'm trying to do yet. We're just talking together. What is it for you? Which best reflects your view and why? God accepts me based upon my birth or my behavior or God accepts, accepts me because of my belief or is it because of some kind of combination of two of those three? I want you to have that conversation, not even to convince yourself of anything. I just simply want you to think about it and to talk about it. Is it easy for me to embrace that it might be as simple as I'm trusting God to be who he says he is and to do what he says he will do? Or is that too simple? Does it need to be faith plus something else? Trust plus something else. Which model did you grow up with? And which model do you feel more comfortable with? Which model have you intentionally or unintentionally been leaning toward? And next week, we're going to come back and we're going to pick up this discussion right there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for preserving this ancient text. 4,000 years. And God, if it is true that a right standing with you comes through trusting you alone, God, give us the courage to entertain leaning in that direction. And Father, for the men and women who have gathered in this room and for those who are going to watch this online or listen to it online, God, for those who have their standard and they feel stranded in their own mess and a mess of their creation, and they're just looking at that mess and they're wondering, God, do you care about me? I pray that you'll take the words that we have imperfectly spoken today and you will take them deep into their heart and you would let them know somehow, God, that yes, you care. And that they can call out to you, God, their Lord who loves them. Because if a good earthly father would never leave his child stranded, you, our heavenly father, certainly would not leave us stranded. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. We pray these things. Amen.